0: we turn back to Luke 9:26 through 36 this morning in the transfiguration Luke 9:26 through 36 For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words of him will the son of man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the father and of the holy angels But I tell you truly there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Now about eight days later, after seeing after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered, and his clothing, clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure.
1: Let's uh, go to the Lord in prayer uh, as we open Luke 9 here. God, uh, we know that uh, Your Word tells us that the natural man cannot understand the things of God, that they're spiritually discerned, and so we ask that the Holy Spirit would help us now understand the Word of God that uh, we could not understand uh, in a spiritual way apart from... uh, your work in our hearts. And so, God, uh, our hope of change and growing and our understanding of you uh, is all by your grace. And so we ask that you help us in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're back in the same passage we looked at last week, and uh, we're going to flesh it out a little bit this week. It's the passage that is known to most people as uh, the transfiguration Uh, when uh, Jesus took Peter, James, and John up onto a mountain and uh, when they were up there, they fell asleep as Jesus was praying and he was transfigured. Glory began to shine out from Christ uh, Moses and Elijah were there with him. The disciples woke up to the scene and uh, Peter realized it was a good thing that they were there as he saw a glimpse of the second coming of Christ, what it would be like to live in the presence of Christ. And then uh, Peter began to make suggestions as he didn't like the fact that Elijah and Moses began to depart. And... uh We looked at last week how Peter, trying to control the situation, often it seems like even thinking he knows better than Christ, uh, offers to make a tent for all three of them to stay. We kind of looked at the account last week. We saw God interrupt at that moment and say, this is my beloved son, listen to him, and Christ is found alone. Christ is not Elijah. He's not Moses. He's not one of the prophets. He's the prophet. He's the Son of God. God is pleased with him. And Peter needed to know, along with all of us, that we need to listen to Christ. We looked at how difficult it is for us to listen When we think we're right, we don't need to hear from someone else and it's difficult for us to listen to God's Word because God's Word challenges us in ways that uh, we don't want to be challenged. God's Word calls us to move in a direction that we would not pick for ourselves. Now, I want to put... Hebrews 9.27 and 28 before us, before uh, we just jump into this text. And I want us to feel the weight of the importance of what we're talking about this morning. The writer of Hebrews says in 9.27, just as it is appointed for man to die once, it's going to happen. And after that comes the judgment so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for Him. The first time Jesus came, He came to deal with sin. To die a substitutionary death on behalf of sinners, so that those who would find their hope in Christ would have their sins taken away so they could be forgiven. And just as you're going to die and as sure as judgment will follow, Christ is going to come a second time. And when He comes a second time, He's not coming for those who have the right answer. God doesn't say on that day, uh, how can you be forgiven of sins? If you say, well, I can be forgiven of sins because of Christ. That's not necessarily the, end, the, the reason you're going to enter heaven because you know that, because you know the right answer to that. The demons know that answer. But Jesus is coming back for those who are eagerly waiting for Him. What it means to be truly born again, to be truly saved, is that you're a person who waits and is waiting for the second coming of Christ. Your hope is not in the here and now, but it's in the coming one. I wonder if that's you. That's what I want you to consider on the front end is... Would someone say about your life that you're one who has set your hope so much on Christ that the voice that comes out of your life is Lord Jesus, come. That's where my hope is. That's who Jesus is coming for. Those who are surprised and shrink back at His coming, the writer of Hebrews says, the Lord will have no pleasure in them. And I wonder how many of you, if He were to show up in a moment, would rather than say, yes, this is what I've been expecting and waiting for, you would be terrified and say, Uh Uh-oh, I didn't know this is coming. In Luke 9, Jesus is talking about His second coming, and God speaks out for our benefit and says, listen to Him. This second coming thing, you better pay attention to. Jesus just said, If you're ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man, when He comes, will be ashamed of you. And yet, it's difficult to listen to Jesus because Jesus is God. And the Bible tells us that God's ways are not our ways. Isaiah 55.8, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are... Your ways, my ways, declares the Lord. Now you might be thinking, well, yeah, but maybe our ways are kind of close to what God's ways would be. Well, then the prophet says, for as high as the heavens, the galaxies, the stars are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts, your thoughts. The reason why it's difficult for us to listen to Jesus is because he's God and the way God has for us is never the way that we would choose for ourselves. They're as far apart as the heavens, the stars are above the earth. We live our lives in, the, in, in our flesh in the natural way for our own glory. That's how the whole world lives. In John twelve forty two, John spoke of those who believed in Jesus, but not in a saving way. They believed in Him intellectually, but here's what it says of them. Nevertheless, many of the authorities believed in Him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so they're ashamed of their belief, so they would not be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. There were those in Jesus' day who believed He was the Son of God. They believed in who He was, but they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. And if you were going to unite yourself with Christ, meant you were going to be persecuted and rejected by the people in your day. And Jesus said, I'm coming in glory, and you're going to get to share in that glory that's going to be amazing if you're not ashamed of my words. If you're willing to kiss away, consider yourself dead to glory that comes from man. That's opposite of the way you naturally want to live. You want to live in such a way that you receive compliments that people think good and nice thoughts about you and speak good things into your life. And what Jesus has just told them is that if you want to follow me, you have to get on the path that I'm on. And the path that I'm on is a path of rejection from the people, suffering from the people, and death, but it's going to result in resurrection and glory. And he says, if you want to follow me, take up your cross, quit living your life the way you think it ought to be lived, following the passions of your flesh, put to death that, endure suffering and rejection now. But when he comes, those who are eagerly waiting for him, who've put their hope there rather than here, it's going to be a glorious day as their long awaited Savior comes. So, do you listen to Christ? That's the question. The Father spoke out of heaven saying, This is my beloved Son. With Him I am well pleased. Listen to Him. In your notes, you can see that the prophets pointed to Christ, told us to listen to Christ. The Father told us to listen to Christ. The apostles are pointing to Christ. Everything is pointing to And screaming to us to listen, and yet most people will not listen. They'll put their fingers in their ears because they don't want a Savior or a Lord, because that means they would have to step off of their throne. Do you want Christ? Do you want Him in such a way that you want to listen to Him? Let's just overview real quickly, listen to the prophets as they tell you to listen to Christ. Hebrews 1 verses 1 through 4 says this, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. That's how God spoke to his people. His creation would never know anything about him or what he was like apart from God revealing himself. And long ago, in many ways, he spoke to us by the prophets. But in in these last days, he's spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed as heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He, being the Son, is the radiance of the glory of God. He is the brightness of the Shekinah, the glory of God. He's the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of His nature. He's not just like God. He's the radiance of His glory. He is God. In fact, He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purification for sins, dying on the cross, he sat down at the right hand of majesty on high, having become much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is much more excellent than theirs. Jesus right now is sitting in full glory, full majesty at the right hand of God, He humbled himself, he became man, he died on the cross. For a moment, he showed three of his disciples, the three is the amount to have a credible witness. He showed them a preview of this glory of the second coming. And right now, he sits at the right hand of God. The prophet spoke of him. In fact, in Acts 3.22, Peter reminds us what Moses said. Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. Jesus is the fulfillment of that prophecy. Moses is telling every Jew that at this point in time in in Jesus' day, a lot of them were saying, we're not going to trust Jesus. We're going to trust Moses. And yet Moses is saying, this prophet that's going to come, listen to him. In John 5.39, Jesus said to the Jews, He said, you search the Scriptures, the Old Testament, because you think that in them you have eternal life and it's they that bear witness about Me. He says, you look through your law, you look through your Old Testament, you think that if you can just keep all that just right. You're going to have eternal life and you don't realize this whole book is not about a bunch of rules, but about a person, about a son. That whole Old Testament scripture is pointing to me and yet you reject me. So he spoke to us through the prophets. He spoke to us through... uh. The prophets pointed us to Jesus and the Father from heaven tells us to listen. Twice now in Luke, the Father is spoken out of heaven in an audible voice. Back in Luke 3, verse 21, at His baptism we read, Now when all the people were baptized, when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on Him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. God the Father highlights Christ, saying this is the one that I am pleased with. The Holy Spirit came upon him, showing the Holy Spirit's anointing of Christ as the one. And in verses 34 through 36 in our text, as he was saying these things, as Peter was giving suggestions, a cloud came, overshadowed them. They were afraid as they entered the cloud, a voice came out of heaven saying, this is my son, my chosen one, listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. They kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they have seen. Because Matthew's Gospel tells us, Jesus said, don't tell anyone what you just saw until you see the Son of Man raised from the dead. Peter wanted the glory of the second coming without the cross. Let's do it right now. Let's stay right now. But Christ's glory culminates at the cross and in His resurrection and His defeat of sin and death. That's when you go and you preach about the second coming. When I'm raised from the dead, sitting at the right hand of the Father, then you tell them about how I'm coming again and that if they want to follow me, they need to lose their lives, give up on their hope of getting to heaven by being a good person, Die to yourself. Realize you can never be good enough to enter heaven and cling to Christ. We're going to spend the rest of our time looking at what the apostles tell us. They tell us to listen to Christ and not just the apostles. We're going to zone in on Peter. What impact did the transfiguration have on Peter? as Peter saw Christ in all of His glory. I think sometimes we don't realize how important the second coming is, waiting for that glory. That's what we're going to look at uh, the rest of our time uh, together this morning. Why must some see a preview of Christ's coming in glory? And I'm going to answer that in three ways, and I'm going to show it to you in Peter's letters. Uh, he wrote two letters that uh, God has kept for us. And uh, it's going to be in 1 Peter and 2 Peter. But the first reason is so that we may be certain that he is the true prophet. The reason why Jesus showed him a preview of his glory Well, why should we believe you, Jesus? You can say you're coming at the end of time, but if a long time goes by, how do we know that you weren't just making that up? Well, let me give you a preview. That's the reason of the transfiguration, showing them ahead of time. He says there's going to be some standing here today that will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. And eight days later, here they are, They're seeing the fulfillment of the short-term promise, knowing that the second part of the promise is going to happen. And if it is going to happen, then don't be ashamed of Jesus and his words. Listen to him. The second reason for this preview is so that we will trust him even through suffering now peter's letters are written to christians that are suffering they've been chased out of their hometowns they're on the run they're suffering and peter's worried that they're going to give up hope that they're because of their suffering they're just going to start to live ungodly lives and lose hope in christ and here's what i want you to see this morning i want you to see what i think peter saw and knew because this is the motivation of his life. How ought you to live the Christian life? One of the things he remembers is this transfiguration and this drives the way he lives. So it's so they'll be able to endure suffering And continue trusting Christ. And third, so they'll know how to live in light of His coming. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 1. And what we're not going to have time to do is sit here in detail and look at every aspect of Peter's letters, but rather I want to highlight Peter's faith looking forward to the second coming and how that practically applies to how he is asking Christians to live in the here and now before he comes. So let's begin in 1 Peter 1, starting in verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles, there you see that these Christians are on the run, they're exiles, of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, they've been spread all over, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, for sprinkling with His blood, May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So He reminds them, God caused you to be born again at a heart level. God elected you, He caused you to be born again according to his great mercy. and were born again to a living hope. Now these are exiles suffering on the run and he's reminding them, you have a living hope. What is that hope? Through the resurrection, of Jesus from the dead to an inheritance, now this is all future, that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. You see this? Peter's encouraging them reminding them of the mercy that God's given them and that this great inheritance is waiting for them. They're going to see the full fulfillment of it when Christ returns. It's a living hope while they're exiles, while they're suffering. It's all true. It's all in front of them. And then he says in verse 5, who by God's power are being guarded through faith, So the way you're going to live your life on this earth is through supernatural faith. The world would give up believing, but when you're born again and your faith is a supernatural faith, uh, the gift of God given to you, God's going to guard that faith. That faith is going to endure through suffering. It's to an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice. Meaning right now in your present suffering, you rejoice. You rejoice in this hope. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. You see that? He's saying we're the people that rejoice in the midst of trials because we have a clear picture and promise of what's to come. So the reality is if you don't have confidence in the second coming, if you don't really have this forefront in your minds you won't wait for it and you'll manufacture glory here on earth. If you're not waiting for glory that's coming in the future, you're going to quit waiting for it. You're just going to go get and be desperate for the glory that comes down here. And then if you're getting glory that comes down here, then you're not waiting for Christ. Christ is coming for those who are waiting for Him who are finding their hope in him but we're people who aren't expecting this life to last forever no our inheritance is unfading unde- not defiled in heaven it's imperishable our hope is in something that can never end we're these weird people waiting for a savior that's been resurrected and is at the right hand of god yet is surely coming back and then he says in verse 7 so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold though it perishes uh, are more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ, He's saying, We we suffer now, but we suffer in a way where we continue our joy and hope, and our lives are going to be found to result in praise and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We're barely in to his first letter, and Peter's just saying, The second coming's true. The second coming's true. There's glory coming. And then he says in verse 8, though you have not seen him, the people he's writing to never got to see Jesus. Though you've not seen him, you love him. What a miracle. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is, that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. He's saying, look at this supernatural faith. You don't see him now, but your joy's real. God has put the hope of glory in every born-again person. And then in verse 10, he says, Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. The Old Testament prophets said, here's how it's going to be with the Messiah. He's going to suffer first, then comes glory. The Israelites missed that. They only saw the glory part. And yet Peter says, the prophets said he was going to suffer Look at Isaiah 53. That's what we looked at last week. And then comes glory. And then he says, it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Therefore, verse 13, we're still in 1 Peter 1, prepare your minds for action. Okay. Okay. Because we have this hope in front of us right now on this earth, prepare your minds for action. Be sober-minded. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. There it is again. He's saying don't put any hope down here. Set all of your hope in the fulfillment of your salvation when Christ returns. We have tastes of our salvation now. The Holy Spirit lives inside us. But there will be one day when we'll never sin again, where we'll see Christ in all of his glory, all of his beauty, set your hope on that day that's going to be revealed to us. And then he says, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passion of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, so you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Here's what he's saying. The one in whom your hope is in, he was holy. And if your hope is in him and you love him, then right now while you're suffering, live like him. Live holy lives like Christ. In fact, this is a fact. If you have your hope set on this day when you won't sin again, when you'll worship perfectly, when you'll see Christ in all of His glory, you you know what that'll mean for here and now? You'll want to kill sin in your life now. You'll want to grow in holiness now. If that's where your hope is, you see, if you think of heaven as where you get all your sinful desires just the way you want them, then you're going to continue in your sinful desires down here. But if you see heaven as being separated from sin, having perfect fellowship with the holy God then the life you're going to desire to live down on this earth is going to be a life looking to, being conformed into the image of Christ. And there's a warning here. In verse 17, he says, if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourself with fear throughout the time of your exile. The second coming does two things. It brings comfort to the Christian. And it also reminds us that we're going to give an account. God sent Christ not just to take away our sins so that we go, well, I'm never going to change and I'm just waiting for Jesus to come back. No, God gives us forgiving grace in Christ, but he also gives us transforming grace in Christ so that God can tell us, take action now. You have the Holy Spirit. You have the word of God. Conduct yourselves as people who are going to give an account to your Savior. Whatever sin remains, yes, it'll be forgiven for the believer, but for the person who truly loves Christ, we never want to stop this fight of growing and becoming more like Him. We want to hear from our Master. You didn't sit on your grace and say, oh, well, I'm never going to get any better. You want to hear from Him. Him, you really believed that my grace could activate power in your life, as we're going to see in Second Peter in a minute. Look at. Uh, um, well, there's one more point I want to make here. Future information leads to present action. It's just a fact. Uh, If you see on the news that it's going to snow 14 inches throughout the night and there's one inch of snow on the ground and you go out and begin to shovel your driveway, you're not very smart. You're not living in light of the information that's been given to you because there's going to be 13 inches of snow on your driveway the next morning. Well, non-believers live their lives in such a way that don't know about the second coming? And Peter's saying... You've been given the future information. Don't live like a fool as though you don't know the truth. And then he says in verse 18, knowing, so we're supposed to conduct ourselves with fear throughout your time of exile, knowing you were ransomed. So there's a sense where we fear god as a father but not as our judge as an enemy because we've been ransomed we've been forgiven so we have a reverence for god we know we're going to give an account to him we know that he's our master and yet we know we're ransomed from the knowing that you're ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your fathers not with imperishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but is made manifest in the last times for your sake, uh, or for the sake of you who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. This is Peter saying. You don't have to live the way the world lives anymore. You have the hope. You have the forgiveness. Live in light of the second coming of Christ. And so that's just a little bit of a taste from 1 Peter. Now let me show you in 2 Peter. Um, All right. Let's see here. I lied to you. We're still in first Peter going to chapter two. First Peter chapter two uh, verse nine. And I know we gotta go quicker here. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Your people who used to think life is down here on this earth, the way of the world. But Peter was one who saw the glory of Christ. He was called in to this different way, into this marvelous light. He's reminding them this is who we are. And then in verse 10, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you would not receive mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh. That's how you used to live. You had to live for the here and now. Don't do that anymore. Which wage war against your soul? Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. You see, he has that day just burned into his mind. He's saying live in such a way that people will see the difference in your life and they will trust Christ so that when Christ returns, rather than having it be a horrible thing, it'll be glory and praise. If we were people who just dabble and live in all the passions of this world, then nobody's going to look for the hope that we have. We're these weird people that have hope that isn't set down here, but is at the right hand of God. Um. Man, we're in big trouble time-wise again. <laughs> I'll just point out in verse eleven. Um, of actually, turn to Second Peter now. We'll start in verse three. Second Peter chapter one verse three. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Peter wants the Christians to know that there is no power that God has not given them for life and godliness. It's at their disposal through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory. You see it? There it is again. Peter saw the glimpse of this glory and he's called us, he's equipped us to live lives that are going to grow into that glory. One day we will be like him by which he's granted to us his very precious and great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption of the world that is in the world because of sinful desire here's what he's saying you want to defeat sinful desire then hang on to the promises that are promised you and the glory that's promised you if you find your hope there you have power over sinful desires down here we live by faith in the son of god who loved us and gave himself for us the one who said to his disciples, I'm going to prepare a place for you. If it were not so, would would I have told you that I go to prepare a place and that I'm going to come again and get you? The reason why we can have power over sin is we know the promises that are before us. And then I'll just point out in verse 11, we don't have time to go through all these verses. I wish we did. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an inheritance into, eternal, into the eternal kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's saying if you live by faith in what Christ has done for you and also live by faith in the transforming grace He provided you, you supplement it with this effort when he comes, there will be a rich invitation into his kingdom. And then he actually just talks about the transfiguration. Look at verse 16. 2 Peter 1.16, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when he made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from the Father and the voice was born to him by majestic glory. This is my beloved Son. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you'll do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. I love it. Here's what he's saying. The prophets were speaking of His glory. The Lord showed us the glory on that mountain. And when He did, it's like a shining lamp in a dark place. We're in a dark place right now. Notice the word until in verse 19. As a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts the day dawns is when Christ returns the second coming that's clear until then we look at the lamp we look at all these prophetic scriptures pointing to the Christ and then confirmed to the apostles in the transfiguration it's like a lamp shining in a dark place but one day when that morning star rises our hearts are going to be transformed. At that point, we'll become perfect. We will not sin anymore. And then he points out the faithfulness of God's Word, knowing first of all, verse 20, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Every word of God's word is true because the Holy Spirit spoke those words through prophets and apostles so that it's his very words. And Peter wants them to know how sure their hope can be in Christ. And then in chapter 3, we don't have time to look at it, but here's what he says. There's going to be... Chapter 2, he deals with all sorts of false teachers. He says, don't listen to them. Listen to God's Word. Listen to us, the apostles. Listen to God's Word. Listen to Christ. And then in chapter 3, he says, there's going to be scoffers, and here's what they're going to say. Oh, is Jesus really going to come? Look how many years went by, and he never came. And he says, those same people purposely, intentionally put their fingers in their ears, and they say, forget about the flood. They intentionally forget that God flooded the earth once. He came in judgment. It's like they go la 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 la. I don't want to hear it. But He says the reason why time has passed is not because the second coming isn't going to happen, but because God isn't willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. But He says, "Don't be fooled." that day is going to come like a thief in the night and christ will re- return and there will be those who are clinging to him and waiting for him and there will be those who have set their hope on this earth outside of christ and it'll be the most terrifying day ever to be in the history of the world you can read it in second peter chapter 3 on that day the heavens go up in a roar All the molecules are gone. The earth is destroyed and the only thing that's left is the deeds of man to be judged. There will be those found in Christ and forgiven and then there will be those judged. And yet Peter says, we have hope on that day because of the promise of the new heavens and the new earth where righteousness dwells forever. My prayer is, is that we would be people that don't just know intellectually Jesus, but we're people who set our hope on Him. That we live our time in this present time, looking at the Scripture, looking at what God showed the apostles in the transfiguration, that we see this as a shining lamp in a dark place, but we're waiting for that morning star to rise where our true hope comes. If you're wondering how important the second coming is, here's how the Bible ends. I wish I could read you the whole chapter of Revelation, but here's the last two verses of the last chapter of Revelation, Revelation 22. Verse 19, if anyone takes away words from the book of this prophecy... God will will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this book. You want to mess with God's word? You want to put your finger in your ear and accept what you want and get rid of what you don't like? All hope will be gone. He who testifies these things says, surely I am coming soon. This is Jesus. Surely I am coming soon. And then the church says, amen, amen. Come, Lord Jesus. And it ends with, The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen. Father, I pray that the heartbeat of our life would say, Amen, come, Lord Jesus. That our hope would be in these promises that you gave the apostles and the early Christians and to us. Father, I pray that we would be willing to suffer now, to be rejected now, to take up our crosses now, knowing that resurrection and glory are awaiting everyone who puts their hope in Him. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.